feeling. All right, well, before I begin our sermon this morning, um, I have picked out a video clip to share with us, so let's watch that together. Good morning, Jim. Jim, uh, hold on a second. We need to talk. Get away from me. Okay, no, I get think away you're really going to want to hear get this, Jim. Away Trust me. From I only me. want five minutes. Yeah, I want a date with Bo Derek. We all want things. This isn't a laughing matter, Jim. This is serious, okay? I really got something here, I'm telling you. Hey, morning, Chief. Morning. Morning, Murray. <laughs> I now believe there was and may very well still be a Russian spy presence in Hawkins. Russian spies. I'm sorry, Murray. Are the Russian spies in cahoots with the aliens? Or how do they fit in here? Because I'm confused. I'm talking multiple reports now. Multiple reports, okay, of a Russian child in Hawkins. A child? What are you talking about, a child? A girl who may have psionic abilities. Psionic. Psychic. Hey, Chief, what about that girl that made that kid PM as a prank? What girl? It wasn't a prank. Uh, 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 you got five minutes, not a second more. <sighs> I talked to a big buy ex-employee who said some little girl shattered the door with her mind. I heard that story. Did you hear the one about the fat man with the beard who climbs down chimneys? Then last month, a co-worker of Ted Wheeler's claims some Russian girl with a shaved head was hiding in his basement. Ted now denies this. Oh, wow. That's a surprise. But it connects. Enlighten me. This girl, she's some kind of a, of a Russian weapon, right? Barbara, she sees this girl, tries to help her perhaps, but before she can, the Russians find them, wait, take wait, them. Wait, wait, you're telling me that Barbara Holland was kidnapped by Russian spies? Kidnapped, killed. Killed. Don't you get it, Jim? No. This has potentially international implications. I'm talking a full-on Russian invasion right here in Hawkins. Give me proof of this girl. I mean, has anybody seen her, like... Recently. No, but these are separate oh, sources. Okay. Hello? Merrill called. Wants you to check out his pumpkins. Says they've been contaminated uh. by his vengeful neighbor, Eugene. You're welcome. God, I'm sorry. I really hate to do this, but I got to run. It's an emergency. You gave me five minutes. Yeah, listen. You know what? I liked your alien theory a lot better. And you want my advice? Why don't you stop bleeding those people dry and go home? Look, right? I am not bleeding anyone. Me. Try. Go home. Conspiracy theories, right? Nothing gives us as much energy as a good conspiracy theory. And some conspiracy theories people get quite passionate about, right? Like fake moon landings and guarding the secret that the earth is actually flat. Or earthquake and weather control machines that may have inflicted this blizzard on us to depress our economy or some other nefarious purpose. The amount of planning and coordination and maintenance it would take to keep secrets of this magnitude is staggering. If any of these conspiracy theories are true, then there are truly some wicked people in this world. Wicked and very powerful. And yet, once in a while, we learn that one of these conspiracy theories is true. During the 90s, they declassified documents verifying that the government did expose people to radiation in the 1940s just to test its effects on the human body. In the late 70s and early 80s, we now know that pharmaceutical companies did know their medications were HIV contaminated and sold them in third world countries where the risks of lawsuits would be much lower. 
We now know in 2000 and 2001 that it was Enron who was causing those rolling blackouts through California that raised the price of electricity 800% as it created an artificial electricity shortage that no one knew where it was coming from, causing the governor to declare a state of emergency. We now know in 2008, judges in Pennsylvania did receive kickbacks from privately run prisons to send them more juvenile offenders with longer sentences so they could collect more stipends from the U.S. government. One kid was locked up in that prison for mocking his vice principal on MySpace. It's staggering if you stop to consider not just the evil it takes to perpetrate these crimes, but the planning. These are not crimes of passion or impulse. They require planning and problem solving and some sort of constant mental justification. You can't see the people you're hurting as human anymore to do this stuff day in and day out. But it's also, they require a huge amount of coordination. These are not lone sociopaths acting alone. It takes hundreds of people to orchestrate these sorts of things. All planning, all working together, all pretending not to know, all taking part and covering it up as it begins to be exposed. Years of ignoring conscience, plotting, scheming, Surely there's no fear of God in the groups of people that do this sort of thing. Your blood begins to boil as you really consider what a conspiracy is and the level of malevolence it takes to have a conspiracy perpetrated against you. And that's really what bothers us. It's the idea that someone knows we exist and yet chooses to plot and scheme against us for their benefit and our harm day in and day out. Sometimes for years. And unless you're very powerful, there's little you can do to stop them. Our scripture today says that God is also a conspirator. God is also plotting and planning. He is manipulating world events and he's been doing it for a long, long time to get something that he wants. Our scripture comes from Acts chapter 13 Verse 17, the God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So these words come from a sermon that's being preached by the Apostle Paul about 10 or 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus. It comes from the book of Acts. He's preaching this to a group of Jews who gather to study the scriptures and to pray. But there are also some non-Jews in the crowd we're going to see, Gentiles, and they call them God-fearers. So what is a Gentile God-fearer? 
We know from history outside the Bible that during the first century, there were lots of pagan folks who were starting to get tired of Greek myths. They were starting to get tired of the immature gods that are portrayed in those stories and the things that they do. They're also getting tired of the really exotic blood and sex mystery cults that were spreading around Rome. So these folks were being drawn to the God of the Bible and they began showing up to synagogue. They were drawn by basically three things, his law and his love and his logic, which they valued very highly as Greek philosophy was really um, coming into its own. So they were showing up to synagogue on Friday night along with all the Jews. So on this day, Paul lays out 1,400 years of God's conspiracy in about eight verses. He says, first God started by causing a tribe of slaves in Egypt to grow huge in number. Then he rescued them from slavery. Paul says they were a messed up people. They worshiped idols and did sorts of other strange things. But God had chosen them to be part of his conspiracy. So he put up with them in the desert. Then it says he gave them a land of their own. Helping these wandering nomads defeat seven other tribes to claim the promised land. All of that, he says, took 450 years of planning and patience. Then he gives them judges to rule, and then a king named Saul, and then a king named David. Now David, it says, is extra special, because God made a promise to David uh, that says, I will give you a kingdom that will never end. And that promise had troubled Jews ever since. All the Jews in Paul's uh, crowd would perk up when he started talking about David, because they know that God gave him that promise, yet David's reign did end. In fact, David's uh, descendants only lasted on the throne for 19 generations. And half of them were really kind of bad kings. So for 900 years, they've been puzzling over this promise God gave to David. What's it mean? But they've never forgotten it because it's in their belief system that if God makes a promise, he keeps it. So they have prayers that they pray every week in synagogue on Friday night. In the Psalms, uh, to remember God's promise of a king forever. Things like Psalm 89. They would probably sing this. uh, Lord, where is your unfailing love? You promised it to David with a faithful pledge. They also had prophets who would write about this and remind them of the promise. The prophet Isaiah wrote this about 500 years before the sermon we're reading. It says, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. And some of the promises they saw going toward David went beyond just having a line of kings, but actually went to eternal life, like Psalm 16. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever. So Paul stands up on a Friday night to this group of folks who have come to study the Old Testament and pray the old prayers, and he says to them, it's all happened. Verse 23, and it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all people of Israel need to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not. 
but he is coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals of his feet. So Paul talks to them about um, Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. And then he mentions John the Baptist, who is actually Jesus' cousin, because John the Baptist was a famous preacher at that time, and these folks would have known who he is, even though this is probably uh, 15 to 18 years after his death. Many people thought that John the Baptist would be the Messiah, but Paul reminds them that John the Baptist said no, he wasn't, but that the Messiah was coming soon. The problem is, is that Jesus was crucified. He was hung on a cross. So that's very troubling. How can that be? And Paul tells them that even that was fulfilling the scriptures. Verse 26. Brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles. This message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. Paul says it's no secret that the Messiah would suffer that the Messiah would meet all sorts of hardship and be betrayed and even crucified. He said, you read about this and pray about this every Friday night in synagogue when you pray things like Psalm 69. Verse 4 says, Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs of my head. Many enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. Later in verse 19, it says, You know of my shame, scorn, and disgrace. You see all that my enemies are doing. Their insults have broken my heart. I am in despair. If only one person would show me some pity. If only one would turn and comfort me. But instead, they give me poison for food. They offer me sour wine for my thirst. Read the the whole of Psalm 69 sometimes, and you'll see that God had already told them the Messiah will come in suffering right down even to being offered sour wine to drink. Paul tells them, the prophets told you this day would come. When you read Isaiah 53 in the synagogue, it tells you these things. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53 says, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Verse 12 said, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Isaiah 53 is a fascinating chapter of the Bible. We don't have time to read the the whole thing here today, but you should read it soon before winter's over. I wrote here, wait for a cold or snowy day. I didn't, well, you got it, here it is. <laughs> the Lord is speaking. Um, wait for a cold and snowy day. Sit in front of a window and make a time to pray and then pray this. God, amaze me with what you have done. And then open up and read Isaiah 53. Write that down or peck that into your phone. Now, as you read it, realize that this was written 500 years before Jesus was born. And be amazed at what God has done. Suddenly, we realize Paul's not standing up here giving a history lesson of ancient Israel. Paul is exposing God's conspiracy of love. 
In the same way human conspiracies fill us with dread, how can people plan so meticulously and use their power to harm us? God's conspiracy ought to fill us with an equal amount of joy. How can someone plan so long to love us and arrange history and nations to save us? How can a power so awesome it can create a universe care about you and me? Plan for us. Arrange things so that we hear the good news at just the right time in our life. Paul finishes this way. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise that was made for our ancestors, the promise that was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. <coughs> Sorry. For God had promised to raise him from the dead not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessing I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. We read all these. This is not a reference to David. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else. (coughs) Someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus there is forgiveness of sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. And the two men urged them to continue to rely on God. That was then. This is now. Now the question comes. To you and I. Having seen all God has done to bring you to this place this morning. And to bring Jesus through history to you. What will you do? Can you recognize God's conspiracy of love for you? I want to show you some pictures. This is my son's bedroom now, but originally this was my daughter's nursery. So it has a kind of a forest theme. Took my wife and I months to put all that together. But we did cross the finish line, finished it right before she was born. So if you look at the closet, I couldn't figure out what to do. So I just kind of made it a cave. See, it's got the the passage and the stalactites and that sort of thing. I imagined her growing up and playing in this room. And I imagine that one night she might be back in the cave part with the the lights down and notice something glowing on the wall, but that she couldn't quite make out. I imagine her getting a flashlight and charging it up and then 
taking the flashlight away and seeing this. Dad loves you, Aiden. Painted there in invisible glowing paint before she was born. It took a lot more years than I thought for those events to transpire. I had to wait with great patience, but, but those things did eventually happen. I think of God's work in history like this only more so. Because he started his work for you thousands and thousands of years ago. On a little spot of ground in another continent. And he created a tribe and then a king and then a messiah. And in his infinite power, he made his conspiracy of love work. But beyond that, (coughs) he knew that we would reject the king and crucify him. Just like he knew all the things that you and I would do in our own lives that have not been, as Chris said, his dream for us. Those things we were confessing in prayer this morning. I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. And yet he worked all that into his plan that the king would die willingly as an expression of his desire to forgive us no matter what and his power to defeat all evil in the world and his conspiracy of love is at work for us and then God does the impossible. He had made that impossible promise for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave and that's just what he did. He raises Jesus from the dead. That was then and this is now. (coughs) You may be in a cave this morning. A shame. A shame you think you can never be forgiven of or forgive yourself for. Or a debt you fear you'll never be out from under. Maybe a lost relationship that hurts so bad or just has you hollowed out and numb. A mess. A dark, dark cave. But there is a light on the wall in that cave. And if you focus on it and charge it up, it says you can get out of here. I knew you'd be stuck here, you know. I've already been down here in the cave of death. And I can show you the way out. Just as we sang today, you chased us into the dark. It says, go this way, and there is an arrow, and it points to Jesus Christ. And it takes you to a prayer, a prayer where you pray, God, I know I got myself into this cave trying to do it my way. I want out now. I repent of my way. I'm ready for your way. Father, I hear that you have forgiven me, that you paid for all my sins with the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you have done that for me, then I accept it. And I will follow you. I will follow none but thee. Help me get out of here. Amen. (coughs) When you pray, pray a prayer like that, you are then a follower of Christ Jesus. And you join then his conspiracy of love working for the good of everyone you know and love because you know some other folks in the cave. 
And you begin to follow him. And some of his ways are not new to you. You just haven't picked them up for a while. And some of his ways are completely new. You'll have to learn them as you go. I've been at this for 20 years now. And I still learn amazing things about following Jesus Christ just last week. And every step we take, there's a new truth and more peace and something still more amazing about God. And you can take that journey also. Because after the prayer comes the journey. And you will find as you're on this journey that God did not just arrange history around Jesus. He arranged the circumstances of your life around you to bring you together. Maybe you already see that in how you've come to be here. Maybe how you came to be here on this morning in particular when it would be so much easier to have stayed home. Do you see the fingerprint of God already in bringing you to this place for this message? Amen.